Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny V. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 35,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been living with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm Uh. feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. I am super excited to welcome John Larkin. John is a multi-award winning author. His 2012 novel, The Shadow Girl, won the Victorian Premier Literary Award and The Pause won the 2015 Queensland Literary Award and was shortlisted for the CBCA Book of the Year Award for Older Readers. He's a writer in residence at Knox Grammar School, University of Technology, Sydney and All Saints Grammar School. And most importantly, John Larkin was my very, very first person I interviewed on the Words and Nerds podcast. Welcome back, John. Thank you, Danny. It's so good to be back. I'm so excited. Whenever I see you, I'm like, he's the first person that said uh-huh. yes to come on this little podcast that had no listeners and I had no interview experience. And you were like, yeah, sure. It could have been a disaster, John. And yet you did it anyway. Yeah, I think I was you with your L plates on, but you're flying now. So <laughs> for me, it's like I have almost had to beg to come back on. So <laughs> I you. did not. Thanks for having me. Never make you beg. It's very special to me to have you here. So thank you. But we're actually here to talk about your new book, Zombies versus the Illuminati. Can you hit us up with an elevator pitch? It sounds very exciting. Okay, the elevator pitch. Well, I just wanted to do something that was fun because, like, you mentioned the pause, which was an it's an anti-suicide book, which you know focuses heavily on uh, teen suicide. And then before that, there was the shadow girl, which was uh, a story about homelessness or about a girl I met during the school talk who was homeless. And so I took her story and put that onto the page. But, um, having done two very heavy books, I wanted to go back and do something fun again, because I was kind of weighed down by those two novels. I was emotionally spent. And so I thought I wanted to return to my roots as it were, as a, as a sort of a humorist and so um the zombies versus illuminati came along as an idea i was at a school one day and i heard these young boys so were year five and six and that one group was talking about zombies one group was talking about the illuminati and um i thought you know i was driving home i thought someone should write a novel called zombies versus illuminati and then i had this sort of light bulb moment like hey larkin you're an author. Maybe you could do that. <laughs> so that was, I love it. Someone, that was genesis. <laughs> someone should write that. Hang on a yeah. minute. <laughs> that writers think that way too. Like someone should really do that. Hang on, I can do that. So yeah. <laughs> that's that was so the funny. genesis. Well, I love that. And you know, the books that you wrote, they were important and they are important. And I loved them. I thought they were beautifully written. But books that are fun are just as important too. Talk me through this. Yeah, look, I agree. I, I think for me. I love, I call it the cure of humour. Like mm. if someone's, you know, feeling pretty bad or whatever, I talk to my students or whatever, I'm trying to make them laugh. Every day I want my students to go home 
laughing their socks off. And when they talk at dinner table, I want them to tell stories about how I've made them at least laugh that day. Because if you, if, you, if you embrace laughter, if you have a good time, then you know, things aren't suddenly not so bad. So it's the same in writing. I mean, when I write, it's not like I, when I'm writing comedy, it's not like I fall about the place laughing, but occasionally I do. <laughs> and it happened the other day. I'm actually writing the sequel to Zombies vs. Illuminati called Aliens vs. Illuminati. And I had this little moment where I was writing and I just kind of snorted out the laughter. <laughs> Very unbecoming, but uh, I thought that's a kind of nice moment. And I shared it with my wife and then she started laughing too. So that was a good moment. Oh, that's great. I can't wait to read it. No, it's great listening to you do that. And I remember you told me a long time ago that your beautiful wife, she reads the novels to you so you can hear them because it's a lot different when you hear a novel spoken when you're writing it. Does this still happen in your house, John? I love the yeah. thought of this. Yeah, it was the first time I tried it was with um, was with the pause. I, I just finished the manuscript and uh, I, I took her out to a Thai lunch and we're, we're just having lunch and it was it was a long process, that book, and I, uh, it was a very uh, a heart-wrenching process to write a book that really stared, at, stared suicide in the face and, uh, and also I wanted to make it accessible too and enjoyable and kind of funny too, which I did. But then we were having lunch and um, my wife, Louisa, Lulu as I call her, she said, let's go home after lunch and let me read that to you. And I thought, you know what, that's a sensational idea because because when I read it, when I read it back as I'm writing it, it's in my voice, but to hear mm-hmm. it in, in her voice was just priceless. And it, and it took me into a, a different realm as an author, something that I'd never really explored. And so to hear my own words coming back to me, but in a female voice, it, it showed me sometimes how clunky certain sections were. And I was able to address that. So it, it's, it's a great idea, an idea that she had. I love that. Did you do that with this book as well? Actually, I didn't because, uh, it, the funny enough, I, I kind of abandoned this book and like, she's involved again because um, <laughs> I started writing it and I had a lot of fun with it. And then I kind of put it away for a while, even though I'd finished it. And I got onto more sort of worthy books, more literary books, which is kind of what my brand is at the moment, I suppose. And then uh, Lulu asked me, she said, what happened to that zombie book you were writing? I said, oh, I finished it, but I kind of put it away. And she goes, can I read it? And so I... I sort of emailed it to her, even though she was lying next to me in bed, I emailed it to her, uh, such as the age we live in. And then as I was writing something else, I just could hear these like these loud guffaws coming from next to me. And you still reading the zombie book? And she said, yeah. She goes, it's brilliant. She goes, and she finished it. She said, don't you dare abandon this. And so I had to actually relook at it. And then so I sent it off to... Um, to uh to, to paul at ford street and because i thought it might be his thing and uh, he loved it so yeah uh, zombies versus illuminati came out almost uh thanks to louisa six months later after wow. she discovered it having i love that it's a nice story isn't it, it is it's a really nice story i love how louisa is always involved in your stories i think it makes it really special and i was so happy to meet her i did your launch last week and i was just so happy because i'd seen louisa on social media a lot and i knew that you had talked about her a lot and i was like i need to meet this one. it was like meeting someone famous it was like meeting madonna <laughs> she's a bit like that she's very kind of calm very nurturing and she's like a great support and like if she writes one day i would like to be a support for her but yeah she's just she kind of understands my mm. voice and, and what I do with my writing. And so she's just heavily involved in that. And she keeps me on the straight and narrow too. Because like sometimes, even in the zombie book, she'll say, JJ, she calls me JJ. She said, JJ, you're getting a bit pretentious here. You're a bit too <laughs> clever here. So I, 
So I think, you know, do you listen to someone close to you? Yeah, Andrew's absolutely yes. Uh, she's got the, be- the, the the book's best interests at heart. So mm. I'm about can... to say that you can probably take um, a bit of constructive criticism from someone who you know is so supportive. You know, they're not criticising you for the sake of criticising you. They're criticising you because they want you to have the best work. Like, you're going to accept feedback from someone like that. Totally right. I think as a young writer, I would have railed against anyone telling me uh, <laughs> that oh, this doesn't work, John. I'd say, well, what do you know? I, you're not a writer. <laughs> but you can't think like that because people, they're readers. Yeah, and that's who it's yeah. for. Yeah, they may not be writers, but they're readers. And so if something's not working, you've got to address it. Yeah, and that's a great point, isn't it? You can't be arrogant and say, well, I'm the writer. I know everything <laughs> because, frankly. Because who are we writing for? <laughs> exactly. I've been doing this for 35, 40 years now. And sometimes I think, I don't know, squat. You know, it's, been, <laughs> it's been a lifelong apprenticeship. But sometimes I think, well, I don't know anything. So, but don't yeah. you think that's about getting older? Because when you're in your 20s, like I guarantee I knew everything or thought right. I did. And right. as you get older, you're like, oh, I know nothing. Oh, I know less than nothing. Wow, I've got so much to learn. So it's almost freeing when you get to a certain vintage, John, and you go, I don't know anything. And that's good. And that's okay because I like to be curious and I like to find out things. I think that's actually a really good place to be. Yeah, I think the, the, the benefit uh, of, of being more mature, if you will, is uh, is the wisdom that comes with that and the wisdom to understand that you don't know everything. Yeah. And so, yeah, when I was 19, I was going to be the next Shakespeare. And now that I'm... Uh, more <laughs> Who says the... you aren't, John? Who says well, you thank aren't? Thank you. That's lovely. <laughs> now I'm more towards the age where Shakespeare died. I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm just happy to be a writer. Yeah. And let, 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 yeah. let the future generations judge my worthiness because I'm not qualified. <laughs> I love that. And we were talking off air actually about, you know, writing just freely, you know, and I think I, you asked me about the podcast and I said, I didn't really worry about how many listeners I had at first because, you know, I just had my mum and you just create the content and you just work to what you love to do. Cause I love doing this. I love speaking to people like you cause I just find it so interesting. And so, you know, it nourishes me and it gives me energy. And I feel that if you just keep doing that, doing what you love and doing it authentically and not worrying about all the other stuff, the stuff kind of comes because it is authentic and it is passionate and enjoyable. And that's, you're like, that's the same as writing. Yeah, it's it's true. Like, I, I think I've met a lot of writers over the years, like people who I've mentored, and they always appear to be in a rush to get the book published, to get out there. But what I've learned through my 30, 40 books or whatever I've written is to really just embrace the process yeah. and do not be in a rush to complete. Because let's, let's face it, uh, to any any of your listeners, Danny, who want to be writers, when you write a book, you've got to really do it about 200 times, yeah. you know, 100, 200 times. You've got to, you've got to go through that thing. You know, my, my favourite saying is, and it's a, it's a phrase that I coined, it's good writing isn't written, it's rewritten. Yeah. And you've got to go through it a couple hundred times and it's the rewrites where the power comes out like get that first draft down by all means get the story down then okay let's make it interesting by making the writing actually quite good and tight and that takes a long time to learn so it's a lifelong apprenticeship mm, I love but that. yeah don't be in a hurry to to get something out there into the marketplace to think you're going to make a million dollars because it the writing world doesn't work like that. You've got to just love the process. Mm. You think, you've got to think to yourself, I'm writing this book for me. Yeah. And that's your that's first and foremost. Do not be a market-driven writer. If you want to be an influencer and saying <laughs> provocative things about philosophy, that might get your followers and that might get you some um, more attention on Instagram. <laughs> 
But if you want to go deep into the arts, <laughs> it takes time. And the, no matter how many rice patties you stir into, no matter how many bikinis you buy, it's not penetrating into your soul. And that's where writers live. <laughs> that was very funny. Thank you. It was like an advertisement for, for writers. <laughs> One cries. Excellent. <laughs> now, you once told me, and this really stuck with me, that before you start your novel, you always know how it's going to end. Is that your, still your process? Absolutely. Always know the last sentence. If not the last sentence, know geographically or thematically or physically where that story ends because without that, you can just meander. Mm. Uh, a lot of writers do that. And it, it, it's like you've got to allow cre- creativity to live. But that lives within the chapters. You might map out your chapter and think, this is where this is what I want to happen in the chapter. You might dot point that, great. Let your creativity live there. But if you don't know how your story ends, where you're going. It's like it's like going on a trip somewhere. I mean, yeah, sometimes it's nice to meander. Uh, that's the idea with a book. You know, the idea, the end the end product, the end process was Melbourne. And we had a great time when we were there. Great launch with you, Danny, and so forth. But as a writer, I always believe you've got to know how that ends you've got mm-hmm. to have your last line and you've got to make that last line understated uh it's not everything's tied up in sweet little bows you've got to just understate like everything's um okay it's not everything's not everything's perfect but everything's okay mm-hmm. on we go that's how i would yeah i like that mm, absolutely and you have a really interesting story about your last book the shadow girl about the ending and i just find that so interesting can we revisit that a little bit so you had a plan for the end of that story and then the feminist in you john the proud feminist went i can't do that talk me through that because i think people will really be interested in that story okay the story goes with the the shadow girl it's a long book it's one hundred twenty thousand words it's it's wow i didn't know that doesn't feel like it it's a journey yeah so i mean i reread it occasionally now and i enjoy it myself i loved it as a reader Mm. Uh, because it's, it's based on a kind of true story about a homeless girl I met during the school talk who lived on the trains. And I thought, as an author, I can't let that go. So I mm. chatted to the young lady. I said, can I write this story? No author could leave that alone. And she says, oh, I'd love it to. So off I went and wrote the story. But I wanted to for her to go on this journey, a, a physical journey, an emotional and a spiritual journey. And my ending was, now, I'm a lapsed Catholic. So I used to be part of the Catholic faith growing up. And as a young boy, my parents would take me to what's called confession, where you would confess your sins to a priest, and the priest would absolve you of your sins and give you a penance in, in the name of a series of prayers that you would have to do. So that's all you have to do, John. You can commit many sins and then just go in the confession box and then you clean again? Is that what you have? Is that it? I think as long as you are generally penitent oh okay i don't think if you just checking i think the idea is if you play a lip service like i mean i can rob this bank and i think that works right you gotta be authentic repentant okay sure got it otherwise sorry um, i'm just taking a tangent i'll see right through you someone else would see some (laughs) celestial being would see through you if you went down that path it wasn't for me i was speaking hypothetically of course (laughs) just checking Thank release tomorrow, Danny. Anyway, so I had this idea of this, this girl going on this long journey and uh, during the course of the journey, she um, slays her uncle who's uh, predatory and so forth without delving too much into that. Now, the, the concept for me as I planned this story was at the end of the story, she would return to her former school, which was a Catholic school. She would go into um, see the priest in a church and she would... Um, 
kneel before him and say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. So that was my last line, and I kind of loved it. But then as I was writing this story and I got into the character, I thought, you know what, she's, uh, yes, I'm a, you mentioned that I'm a feminist. I'm an unabashed feminist. Um, That's why I love we, you. We could, talk about, <laughs> we could talk about women's rights all day long, glass ceilings, and I'm so, and I get so angry at the way the world is run still by the patriarchy, but we won't get down that path now. Oh, why not? Okay. Well, we, we kind <laughs> of are. We kind of are going down that path. Okay, but like, okay, let's, let's stick to the story. And as I thought, you know what? Because in the Catholic faith, you kneel before the priest and you say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And then and I thought, no way. No way is this young lady who's just survived so much. There is no way I'm having her kneeling before any man, mortal or celestial or otherwise. And so I changed the ending. I didn't change the location. Uh, she was still in the church, but she was uh, she she sort of laid down on the pew where she was sleeping that night. It was her last night because a homeless person, and she just um, flashed up the V sign to Jesus. And it, I'm not saying that she was an equal. I'm just saying that she was like yeah, but she was not kneeling before. And of course, we all know what happened to uh, certain members, certain priests in the Catholic faith um, who've done these unforgivable things to children and. For me and you, Danny, as parents, there's nothing more um, sacred than the protection of children. Mm. And when you hear of the abuse that went on, you can understand why I, you know, walked away from the Catholic um, Church and have never looked back. Mm. Um, it's it's part of that still. It's still part of my DNA, and mm. I, I can't. Escape How does it. that change you as a person? Being um, <clears throat> having faith, you had faith, I'm assuming, and then mm. and then yeah. not having faith. How does that mm. change you as a person and a writer? I think. With my wife, my wife is a person of faith. She's got very strong faith. And then she's taught me a very, very valuable lesson. She said, don't confuse religion with faith. Okay. And so that, that sort of opened my eyes a little bit. Look, I'm still, I mean, I got lost in the whole religion, um, Catholic church, that did me in. And I, could, I couldn't unravel the two. And I'm, of course, you know, I'm, I'm still on that journey. But it was a good lesson to learn. Am I a person of faith now? No. Um, but did my wife let me see the difference between religion and faith? Yes. Mm -hmm. I think without her, I wouldn't have seen that. And what's the difference, if you don't mind me asking, between religion and faith? How would you separate the two? Okay, I think faith can exist without the structures of a physical building. Of okay, church, sure. Yep. Of mm -hmm. ministers, you can be uh, spiritual and you can mm -hmm. believe in God. Whoever you want without well, having to true. visit a church. Exactly. Okay. Um, some people do need to do the, the church thing in order mm -hmm. to, to connect and to embrace with other people. But I understood from, I understand from her, we said it's nice to see faith unfettered by religion, is what she, she mm. has as well. So she, yes, she does go to church and, and I go with her, but it's not, it's not essential for her either. She still has that beautiful faith, and that's something that I'm <clears throat> also exploring with her if that makes mm. sense that's really interesting but it's also interesting and really respectful to respect you know the person that you're with respect you know what they believe and what they want to believe in as well so i like that of course like who the hell am i i mean i, I, <laughs> I acknowledge that i could be completely wrong and arrogant to say otherwise and so um i think we've got to walk humbly Mm. And, um, see what else is out there but like for me and, and i'd seen behaviors of certain priests growing up there was this 
and even like my own my mother would tell me that um priests are as close to god as you'll ever get on earth and so you grow up in the catholic mm. faith with this belief that these are protective beautiful people and you know what a lot of them are mm. but far too many are not mm. and they're just as vulnerable as the rest of us and yeah absolutely yeah anyway I won't fallible you. no it's interesting it's yeah. interesting and i know we're here to talk about your book but we always go on tangents we wouldn't be talking if we didn't go on a tangent right <laughs> so you're you're a young man john but when did you are you always a feminist did you sort of deliberately think i'm going to become a feminist was there like a a turning point in your life uh, yeah it's it's weird i, I think I, because i grew up in the 70s and I, I saw the women's movement close at hand and I saw, like, my mother was probably, she didn't embrace feminism, but I saw it from, my, from like, say, my sister's aspect. I, I could see that she did not have the same opportunities as me and, that, and I questioned that because, mm. for me, my sister was someone who was, like, better looking than me. She was more intelligent than me. She was more <laughs> eloquent than me. I was like, why does she have less opportunities than me on the basis that she's a woman? And that, and that for me, was my starting point. Wow. I, remember being, I remember being at a school and the school were training these, these young women, I felt were training, uh, to, like, you know, get a job from, you know, from when they leave school and then they'll get married and they won't have to worry about work anymore. I felt my school was doing that. And so I just riled against it. I thought, you know, we're equal. And in fact, let's, let's be honest, if anything, women are women are, are more powerful because you, you guys can create life. And so for me, I will, I've always put myself um, below women if that, in that regards, because like you guys can do everything we can, but you can create <laughs> life too. Like what the, hell, what the hell am I doing? I'm just scribbling around with books and so forth. <laughs> well, I've just recently learned how to mow a lawn, John. So I couldn't do I everything. Do. Yeah, I couldn't my... do everything before. Now I can, but no. <laughs> Well, the patriarchy insists that I have those skills, and so I do have those skills. <laughs> now, I love Matthew Lynn. Getting back to the book after we went on a few tangents, we'll get back on the road. Sure. But I love, I love tangents. They're my favourite thing. Um, but Matthew Lynn, I've got his artwork hanging up in my house, four pictures actually. Yeah. So I just love his work, and he's an incredible artist who illustrations for your book, Zombies. Tell yeah, me about well, that. I didn't know there were going to be illustrations. Isn't that just like? Um, the publisher Paul from Fourth Street said to me, "Let's do some illustrations." I thought, you know, that's quite a nice idea. Um, and he was talking about one per chapter. And so I said, probably the best thing to do is do one at the start of each chapter, like on the cha on the title page, chapter page, and uh, make it kind of like a, a harbinger for what's about to come. And he said, "That's a good idea." And then it was over to Matthew. And I have worked with illustrators in the past for some books, that, younger books that I've done. And I always find it's better to let the illustrators just do their thing because mm -hmm. visually they're far superior to to what to what I can even think of. So no matter what I think of in terms of illustrations, Matthew came up with something that just blew me away. And so and I've learned that in the past. You know, my word, my world is words. Their world is um, visual and visual literacy, and I've got nothing to add to their world. Um, they've got plenty to add to my world with with what they can do to enhance the story and so I just I, I've always trusted the illustrators that I've worked with and mm. none more so than Matthew who did an amazing job yeah it's great the front cover's great tell us about that scene yeah it was it was just something that's been in my mind for a while I was like where can I use this scene I had this idea I think because like my first full-time job 
when I left school and I, I kind of did run away from school because I went to this horrible school and uh, and it, um, so I got a, I got a, my first job was as a full-time trolley boy I used to collect the supermarket trolleys from the car park <laughs> and push them up this great big hill and I always fantasized about jumping in a trolley and riding down this oh, hill did you and ever so, do it no I'm too <sighs> weak I'm too spineless and so <laughs> I do it now. Oh, great. <laughs> okay, I'm coming to your house. We're going to get a couple of trolleys. Right, so, yeah, we'll do dinner and we'll go. We'll get a super, we'll get a trolley and we'll ride down a hill. Let's do it. It's going to be great. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I think when you're a rider, and at that time I wasn't a rider, but I think I had the mind of a rider, I kind of locked that away. At some point, I'm going to do that supermarket trolley thing. So in the, in the Zombies vs. Illuminati, the, 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 um, the five of them, the, the young people who are fighting the zombies, and they've been in, in they've been inducted into the Illuminati. They find a trolley on this hill, and they've got to get to the bottom to get into a car to go to Canberra to convince <laughs> the, um, the the prime minister to take care of the zombies. And so they, <laughs> they ride do. they ride down the hill in this um, in this supermarket trolley to, and battering the zombies out of the way with a with a retired pole vaulter's pole, <laughs> which they find, which um, of course as, as you do. And so. Uh, that was the idea. And then when they said to me, what do you want on the cover? I said, if somehow you can take that supermarket trolley scene and, and transpose that to the cover, that would be brilliant. And then Matthew did the most amazing job with doing just that. I love that. I love how this is a really long fantasy of yours from childhood. <laughs> Nothing's lost. As a, as a writer, you, you park everything in your yeah, brain. Yeah. You, you forget nothing. I don't know, maybe it's my brain, but I just that stuck with me. And I've always, always had this kind of supermarket trolley thing going on. They're a, they're a strange allure to me. I don't I know what it. that means. Well, I'll jump in one with you and go down a big hill. I, yeah, that so sounds on. fun. Yeah. <laughs> and sure, incredibly uh, dangerous. I'm not sure how my new hip, my new titanium hip would take to that. But probably um, well, probably better than your old hip. Probably. You're, you're so right, yeah. <laughs> now, you had a bit of a break from these beautiful literary novels, try this incredibly fun novel. What is next for John Larkin? That's really interesting. Uh, because the zombie book was so much fun and, you know, my first reader, my wife loved it so much, and the publisher loved it so much. It's going great, guys. I'm sort of doing a sequel. Mm, aliens. Um, so Aliens versus Illuminati. How far can you take that? What comes after that? Mm, I mean, what do you go after, after aliens? aliens? There's nothing, is there? Like, oh, no, I think you could think of some things for sure. Yeah, ethereal, maybe something ethereal, maybe mm. something more back to Earth. I don't know. Mm, Mummies mm. versus Illuminati. It seems like a step backwards. Though. Yeah, know. Andy Griffith said that with his Treehouse books. He said, you know, they went to space and I'm like, where do you go next? He goes, you go right back down small. I'm like, oh, okay. They're almost like a prequel. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'll see. I'll see. Like as you're writing a story, you don't know where it's taking you. Yeah, that's right. And this part. one might inspire the next one. Right. So I'll see. I'll see where we go with it. Um, but yeah, I'm also doing a literary adults novel, which I've been doing now for 22 years. I've been mm. this book. It, it took Joseph Heller only 15 years to write Cats 22. I've been <laughs> writing this book for 22 years. It started off contemporary. It's now a period piece. Oh, it's historical fiction. Yeah, historical <laughs> fiction. And when well, I Fitzgerald it, 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 said, it he said, how long does it take you to write a novel? He said, all my life. He said, yeah. because all the experiences you have fill up the next book. That's so true. 
this one, the, the adult literary novel I'm doing, and I've, I've started sort of getting, it's still 20,000 words um, before it's finished. Mm-hmm. So I'm putting some feelers out there now. Does anyone kind of interested in this? I don't know because um, the, the landscape has changed since I started writing it. So mm-hmm. um, what took me 22 years to get really good it's been my back burner project. I'm not sure even mm. if it'll be published. You know, it's, it could be something that turns up. My kids might find it in a in a um, <laughs> USB drive when I'm long <laughs> departed and say, this is a good book. Let's get that published posthumously, <laughs> Dad. And so they'll make a million dollars and I'll be... Like Shakespeare. Yeah, maybe. Oh, that's okay. I, I, I can work with that. <laughs> yeah, I can work with that, but we'll see. I'm not saying it's Shakespearean, but it's probably my my seminal work but mm, I, I love that it's 22 years in a way and how do you stay interested and engaged in a story that you've been playing with for two decades yeah because I, I sometimes go for that crisis of confidence saying what are you doing because like the thing is that your listeners might not understand I've been doing this for most of my life but even now I sometimes think do I even know what I'm doing hmm. do I even know what I'm doing I, I think all art everyone who works in the arts does struggle with that crisis for confidence. Yeah, you made a definitely. clip about it at the weekend down you were right on the money um you said something like uh, an artist lacking confidence are you kidding even <laughs> very sarcastically but yeah we all picked that up and I, I think that's true i think um i, I sometimes reread that book the one i'm working on and i think oh, this is the best thing i've ever done or i will ever do and then two weeks later i'll read the section again i think this is rubbish. What are you oh, thinking? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't um, it? So I, I don't know. I'm just going to get the mm. first guy back. <laughs> kind yeah. Of but, you know, I always think as long as self-doubt isn't debilitating and paralyzing, self-doubt, I think, raises what you can do because it's in your head it's like you can do better than that. As long as it doesn't paralyze you and stop you from doing what you do, there's a kind of a knife's edge of self-doubt that if you just go, okay, I might be able to do better than what I've got, it can be a good thing maybe. Absolutely. I think. I've only met one or two authors who have been supremely confident and they're nowhere now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important to understand because I think what you said is right on the money. Um, there's a very, there's a great quote about this. I'm just trying to find it in the dark recesses of my <laughs> mind. It's, it's like um, the, the, the real artist is scared to death um, yet the counterfeit innovator is wildly self-confident. Mm. I don't know who to attribute that quote to, so I do apologise if that person is still alive, but that is right on the money. Yeah. If you're if you're an artist, whether that's whether you're a filmmaker, a fine artist, whatever, a writer, um, if you are supremely confident in what you're doing, then you do not belong in this game. Yeah. Because the, the fact that we think we're rubbish keeps us pushing to get to that higher plateau of where our writing can be yeah absolutely so that's what i strive to do every day yes i think i'm rubbish but clearly on the basis of my career the marketplace and you (laughs) think (laughs) otherwise um so but it doesn't change anything you Mm. know you can tell me and my and lulu can tell me that i'm a brilliant writer and I go, what are you, what are you guys on? Come on, what are you, what are you <laughs> But saying? that's why we love you. <laughs> Thank you. But I think everyone, I, I really truly, I really truly believe that everyone thinks that way. Everyone, every writer worth their salt thinks that way. Yeah. I'm I think not- overconfidence is a killer. I think every time in my life, yeah. 
which I haven't been in the last decade, but every time you've been overconfident, it doesn't work, you know? And I said that to my son, we went roller skating and he was, you know, got really confident. I said, don't get overconfident. You know what happens? And he goes, broken arms. I'm like, that's right. <laughs> so true. Yeah. Yeah, it keeps us on the straight and narrow, keeps that's us honest it. and keeps us humble. And yeah. that's, where, that's where writers need to be. Yeah, that's where people need to be, I think. Yeah, I think I heard a quote once. Yeah, for me, politicians are the worst. It's, I think the, for me it's like the very, the, the very, the people who want to be politicians should be automatically barred from ever being politicians because <laughs> they, look, I, I'm sure some of them do, but a lot of them, the ones who seem to get real power, only have their own interests at heart, mm, not yeah. that of the community. Mm. Um, so that's where I've got a real problem with politics because yeah. it's about it's about the self. It's about me remaining in power. There's no one worse than that than Donald Trump. Um, so it's about this desire to remain in power rather than understanding that while I'm in power, it's my job. My duty, yeah, it. exactly. My job. It's my duty to humble myself before my electorate and give the people what they want, not about yeah. retaining Look power. after them, yeah. And it becomes so, becomes about the power and self-interest, doesn't it? Which it's is all about the power and self-interest, and so it's, mm. it's a dichotomy. The, the people who should be in power are, are academics. Artists uh, and academics. Artists, artists <laughs> and academics. Uh, we probably couldn't run the economy there. That's the thing. We'd have to ask our accountant friends and our financier friends. To, uh, We'd have to ask people to actually pay for our art. Imagine. Imagine that, hey? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, John, something I always ask um, all my guests, and I don't think I asked you because I don't think I'd thought of this question when I interviewed my very first guest, which was you. Uh, why do you write? Ah, to see how far I can delve into the abyss of my mind. <laughs> it sounds dangerous. Utterly pretentious. But <laughs> when, you, when, when you write, and when you write, it's going well, it's almost like it, it's not you. you. You take a step back. And you just watch some other part of you create. And that's a fascinating place to delve mm, into. Yeah. Even at an objective level, you think, what is happening with creativity? And so for me, sometimes if I'm at my local shopping center or something, I look at the people and think, well, you're not a writer. You're not a writer. You're not a writer. How do you cope with that? How do you <laughs> cope with not being a writer? Because you don't know what it's like to go into this almost Zen state of creativity. Yeah. That might sound utterly pretentious, but that is kind of where it lives. When I write something brilliant, it's not me. It's something that I don't fully understand. It's every life experience I've been through put into some part of my brain that sort of whirs it around and spits it back out on the page to the point where I go, wow, who did that? <laughs> and that is, that is a place I want to visit and visit every That's day. amazing. I love that. It's the idea of being lost in a paragraph. Mm. And, and that, as a reader, you want to be lost in a book too. Oh, dear. Uh, look, that's why it's, reading and writing is so intrinsically linked. Like mm. you can be a reader and not be a writer, but you cannot be a writer and not be a reader. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely. Unheard of. Yeah, and insulting to your reader probably. Yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> you know what you're doing. It's like It's like... <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna be a parachutist, but without bothering with a parachute. You know, like, what are you talking about? I, I, I was once asked for an autograph. I was doing a book signing, 
and this woman plonked herself down next to me. She had a post-it note, not a book, because like we love signing post-it notes. And so she goes, can you sign my post-it note? I said, yes, of course, I will do that. <laughs> and so she said to me, oh, I want to be a writer. I said, okay, good luck, write. And she goes, but I'm not a reader. And I just kind of went, nope, sorry, <laughs> legal motion, first down, <laughs> penalised 10 metres. I just said it can't happen. You cannot be you cannot be a writer without being a reader. Absolutely. It doesn't make any sense. John, it is always such a pleasure to speak to you. Um, you'll always be my number one guest because you were my number one guest and I just think you're a top human and I love hanging Thank out with you, you and Jen. chatting like, with you. That's right. No one will ever take me. When you take this international, national, <laughs> international. Uh, to space. <laughs> to space into the Andromeda galaxy, I was number one. Sounds like that SpongeBob episode. I was number one. <laughs> number yeah. one. I was number. Thank you, Danny. It's always a joy. You, you, you. It's always having. A, it's great to have a conversation with you. Not realizing there are thousands of people listening. It's just like <laughs> you and me having a chat. That's the secret, isn't it? It is the secret. <laughs> well done. Thank you so much, John. Thank you, Danny. The Words and Nerds Universe content is created by many talented people. We have the usual episodes and live streams hosted by me, Danny B. There are three regular spin-offs, the popular Burgers, Beers and Books hosted by Ben Hobson, the regular Takeover hosted by Nathan J. Phillips and a different page hosted by Josie Layton. Check the Words and Nerds website for more details. We also have Takeover episodes where an author interviews another author and they take the conversation wherever they like. Throughout the year, we also have short spin-offs like the Summer Series Takeover, the NaNoWriMo Series and the Publishing Insider Series. You can find all of these episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts. You'll also find us on social media on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, Danny B Books, Words and Nerds Podcast. Stay safe and read more books.